You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for that warm response. Uh, that was encouraging. Yeah, thanks. Uh, let me offer a, a prayer as, as, as we begin today. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift and the blessing of this day and that you have given us this opportunity to gather together. We do pray that through the power and through the presence of your Holy Spirit that you would be in the midst of us. And I certainly lift up, Lord, as always, uh, my great need, our great need, that ultimately it would be your living word which would go forth to us this day and that indeed that living word would take root in our hearts and our lives in in ways that bring your truth and your power and your clarity to our lives, I pray in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. All right. Great to see everyone. Um, I'm I'm glad you're here. And today we're going to talk, um, we're going to talk about Judges 6 through 8. So we'll kind of see how that, we'll see how that goes. Clearly that's a little uh, ambitious um, to cover uh, those two chapters uh, in our time together. But one of the things I want to do is to talk about um, the story of Gideon. Uh, so if you remember, Gideon's ministry involved traveling around putting Bibles in hotels. Um, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that important ministry of Gideon. Um, but uh, so Judges 6 through 8, um, if if you have um, your, your Bible with you. And, it, and again, but. Uh, it's a lot of material, so I'm not going to read uh, verse by verse. So what I'll probably do is, is jump around some in these two chapters. Uh, three, uh, English major, well done. Um, six, seven, eight. Uh, but And I encourage you, when you go home, uh, to read to read through these and to continue to reflect on them. Because you know, one of the things that we know and experience with Scripture is it's something uh, God speaks and works through it. Uh, if, if you're anything like me, sometimes uh, I, I read a text and it's, I get nothing. Uh, it's it's bouncing off the wall of uh, of my mind, my heart. I don't think it has anything to do with the word. I think it has to do with the soil of my life. So sometimes I read it and I'm like, okay, it's funny. I well, I love to do this with Paula, uh, and I'll say, all right, Paula, here's what I'm teaching on. Here's what I'm preaching on. Uh, you know, da da da. And I'll read it to her and she'll say, I I I don't get it. Um, so you know, perhaps sometimes when you read scripture, that's kind of that's kind of your response to say. I, I, I don't get it. And you all know this as well from probably from your experience as well. You've heard a text for years and years and then suddenly as you encounter it, it encounters you and something comes through with, with a clarity and a power that you can't believe you missed all these years. Uh, and so anyway, I, I encourage you to go back and to read uh, through Judges 6 through 8 and about um, the story of Gideon and the call of Gideon. And, and as we're continuing to reflect on um, the, the folly and the irony and the truth uh, of the Christian message. Uh, one of the things uh, that I put by way of the title is, um, and I thought this was something that probably is applicable to all of us, uh, when you're stuck, um, when, you feel, when you feel stuck um, in your life. And certainly that's something that we've all experienced relationally, uh, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, you know, maybe it's in our, maybe it's in our work, maybe it's in our, our, our life and it's seeming lack of any clarity or direction. We, we've all had that experience of feeling stuck. Um, and certainly we've been in situations where it's, um, this is, 
I, I can't figure this out, God. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm at a roadblock here. I'm at a log jam, and I need you, um, please, uh, Lord. I, I need you um, to break this open and to bring some movement here um, because on, on my own I'm experiencing no movement. And I, that's an appropriate way to begin our reflection because part of what uh, the... You know, it's funny. Part of what the Israelites were experiencing as God um, intrudes... Uh, in the life of, of Gideon and, and of his people, and a, and a most blessed intrusion it is. But but the people are are stuck um, in a cycle, and I, and you know hopefully I'm not going to be too heavy-handed in trying to apply this in our lives. But 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 it's true. Now, the people of Israel think about it. And this question can be rhetorical, or you're welcome to respond. Um, uh, the people of Israel in their spiritual life, in their relationship uh, with God. Um, do they keep getting better and better, um, or is the pattern cyclical? Cyclical, ex- ex- exactly. Um, uh, you know, God intervenes. They, they they cry out, and God intervenes on behalf of His people, and He sends prophets and He sends messengers, and He makes uh, appearance uh, Himself to respond and and to deliver. Um, his people uh, with with in such a way that you can say, you know what? God alone uh, has delivered us. God alone has brought us out of our slavery and our bondage. And not just uh, from the time in, in Egypt, but but throughout their history and their relationship with God, God acted and God sent people into their lives, his prophets and his messengers and his servants to act for their deliverance. And, and let me ask you this question. Um, because again, I think we can find a lot of traction with the Israelites in our own life as well. Do they respond with faith, gratitude, and obedience? <laughs> briefly, um, yeah. Sometimes, yeah. Briefly, you know, faith and gratitude and obedience. Sometimes, yes. That that is their that is their brief response, and then uh, they become forgetful, uh, and then they become uh, complacent, and then they begin the the patterns of. Uh, idolatry and rejection of God uh, again and again. And we begin in 6 here. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, And that's a theme throughout Judges. Um, That's kind of a scriptural theme, isn't it? Um, It's only in this book. Um, No, this is something that we see again and again. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into into the hand of Midian um, seven years... And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. So seven years, uh, seven years they were given into the hands uh, of of Midian. To me, among the most frightening words uh, in the Bible are words which Paul includes in his letter to the Romans, where it talks about God gave them over to their desires. Um, Basically, God said, look, you want to... You, you want to pursue um, your idols uh, and and your lusts and, and, and lust isn't merely sex. I mean your lust for whatever for whatever it might be. Um, if, if you want to pursue that, I'm going to give you over. It, it's basically it'd be like when we were children if, if our parents said fine. Um, you, you want that? Go ahead. Here it is. Um, run with the sharp knife. Um, go ahead and, and, and you know go ahead and drink the brasso. Uh, whatever it might be. If our parents just said you know what fine. You want to do it. Um, do it. Uh, so the, those frightening words, um, uh, when they are given over, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them in the hand of Midian for seven years. And so 
Maybe you find this clarifying. Maybe you find this helpful. Maybe you find this uh, challenging or offensive. But at least uh, what the author of Judges is saying here is it wasn't accidental. Um, that their their predicament uh, that that they're in was was at the very least um, allowed by God. Uh, they were uh, in this uh, place, and and the for seven years is a long time. Uh, seven years is a long um, time to experience fear and suffering and, and, and deprivation. You know, seven days um, seems like a long time, right? Uh, and, and imagine this for seven years. And it was to the point that we're told uh, that they basically make uh, go into caves and they make holes for themselves where they're hiding out from the Midianites. Uh, and, and the Midianites, um, as uh, we'll go on to read, uh, and the uh, Amalekites uh, and the people of the east would come up against them. So what, what you have are these nomadic peoples um, the, the Bedouin and the nomadic peoples and these desert tribes that would, would come in um, to the land uh, of the people of Israel. And, and we're told um, that they are fearsome. Interestingly, uh, in, in reading some of the different commentary on this and Robert Alter's commentary, uh, apparently um, they were among the first uh, to domesticate and use camels. Um, and so that would have been, you know, you may think, well, Thanks for that tidbit, Craig. Uh, but if you think about it, it'd be, it'd be pretty scary. I mean, all of a sudden you see these, you know, vast tribes uh, like locusts um, riding, riding these camels um, into, into attack. It, you, you give yourself that visual. You, you think about that experience and how foreign and, and, and frightening, um, how foreign and frightening that, that would be as, as they came in. I, I always think of... Um, that movie, and I'm trying to remember the name of it. I think the name of the movie was Ants. Um, uh, I can't believe y'all don't get this reference. Um, it was, uh, but it was, uh, and, and the story is basically, um, it was, uh, it was an animated um, movie, and the, uh, the the bully grasshopper locust would come in. You know, the ants would go about their ant work, you know, being productive and um, et cetera. And the and the grasshoppers, the locusts would come in. They were the big bullies, and they would come and they would take uh, away all that. Um, it's funny. It's really uh, it's a, it's a very biblical story uh, it, because you know the, they would come in and they would overpower them and the ants were you know had no chance against them. And one I can't remember the character, but there's this one guy. He's kind of a dreamer. He's not um, uh, he he's not the one that you think would be selected. Uh, is the one who basically um, ends up um, uniting the people uh, and uh, securing and driving out um, the ants and the grasshoppers. So um, let us pray. Uh, that's, uh, but it was kind of it was interesting. I mean, it's like the person, uh, it, this is the story here. So here's the people and the Midianites, again, because they're nomadic, they're not like the Romans that come in and set up camp and colonize. They just come in and destroy. They just come in and they know when the harvest is coming. That's not a secret. Um, and, and obviously in that time, you can't go to the grocery store. Uh, and so if your harvest is destroyed, if your harvest is taken away from you, you're, you're done. Uh, and, if, and if you're not done for, you're certainly uh, in, a, in a dangerous place where uh, you, you don't know how um, you're going to make it. And so they come in and they, and they plunder uh, and they take away all of, their, uh, all of their food. And they also take away um, their animals and that which they don't eat uh, or take away, they, they destroy. They come, we're told, and they set up camp um, in their fields. And so uh, imagine this cycle and this pattern and, and the despair um, that would come 
um, to the people uh, of Israel. And then in verse 7, uh, chapter 6, uh, verse 7, we're getting really far. Um, when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed um, my voice. And so the, uh, the Lord sends a prophet to the people uh, by, way of, uh, by way of reminder. Um, and uh, as we see, when the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and they begin to have this interaction, uh, in, in essence, uh, what, what Gideon um, will say, which is, again, I think you and I can find resonance uh, in this as well, um, look, I don't need a reminder. Um, I, I've heard all these great stories from the past. Uh, I don't need a reminder of the past. I need someone to deliver me now. Um, I don't need... I don't need hollow religious words. Um, I don't need platitudes. And in, in, in a way, it's, uh, it's, it's somewhat bold. But, but interestingly, as you read through wonderfully, particularly as you read through the stories of the Old Testament, there is this, um, there's this interaction with, with God, which, which God doesn't seem to mind at all. Um, there's, this, uh, there's this grappling with God. There's, there's honest talk uh, as they go back and forth. And so, uh, in essence, it's like, you know what? Thanks for the reminder, but we need a deliverer. Um, thanks for the reminder, uh, but but we need uh, we need a warrior king. Uh, we need a mighty man of valor um, to come and to deliver us. And then as we go on, we hear about the call of Gideon, and this is 6.11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abzerite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat and the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. So, uh, you and I don't make a lot of wine. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm misspeaking. Maybe you do. Um, and we don't thresh a lot of wheat. But all right, so let me ask you this. Um, even with our limited knowledge, where do you thresh wheat? Out in, the, out, in the, out in the field. You go up to a high place. You don't do it in a wine press. So a wine press is, is intentionally closed and, and, and shut in. There, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. There, there's no... There's no reason that you would thresh wheat uh, in a in a wine press. It would be it would be uh, incredibly incredibly frustrating to try to do it. Well, uh, here's your softball. Why was Gideon doing it? Yeah, he was he was hiding. He was he was scared. He was frightened, rightly, uh, of the Midianites. It it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't an unwarranted um, fear um, that he is threshing the wheat. Uh, and then here six. 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Well, let me just go ahead and tell you, that's humor. Um, the Lord is with you, um, O mighty man of, of valor. God, God speaks to him. Gideon was anything but a, but a mighty man uh, of valor. Uh, and, and, and interestingly, let me, one of the things I want to uh, note um, so here is, is God appearing um, to Gideon, uh, and, and, it, and it's God uh, breaking in. Uh, and as God does so, his first words to Midian, um, well, again, I think, yes, um, they're, uh, they're, they're kind of funny, and I, and I think it's not 
unintentional that they're a little funny, but but let me ask you, and this is in some ways kind of a lame question because this is guess what I'm thinking, but um, as, as God appears to Gideon uh, and the angel, what's what's the tenor uh, of the angel toward Gideon? What's what's his treatment of Gideon? Well, I'll I'll tell you um, uh, what what I'm what I'm thinking, and also what I believe it says. It's it's not one of deserved rebuke um, when. When God's messenger appears, uh, it's not, uh, it's not uh, a shaming. Uh, it's not a wagging a finger. It's not, you know what? You guys have blown it um, for seven years. Uh, you guys don't deserve to have me show up. In fact, now that I'm here, let me tell you what you're going to do uh, and what you, what you need to do. It's, it's not showing up with the word uh, of, of judgment or shame. It's not uh, showing up with the word uh, of deserved rebuke. It, it's a graceful word which is spoken um, to Gideon. Uh, and in essence, it's, it's a gathering word. Uh, it's a word which will actually draw um, Gideon out. Uh, rather than shutting Gideon down, uh, the word which God, as he comes and he speaks to us, uh, it's a word that's gracious. It's a word designed to draw us out um, rather than to drive us further in. Uh, so we see the nature and the character of God, his desire um, to draw us out in relationship with him rather than to drive us further in. Um, as he says, um, Hail, mighty man uh, of valor, the Lord is with you. And then hear what uh, we hear right after this, because this is important. And this, again, is very, very applicable um, to you and to me. Uh, let me let me ask you this question. Um, when you are experiencing hardship, uh, when you are experiencing suffering, uh, when you are experiencing loss, or when you're experiencing challenges, do you feel like the Lord is with you? You can be honest. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, sometimes, yes. Um, uh, but, but, but sometimes, do you feel forsaken? You don't have to answer this if you don't want to. Do you, do you sometimes feel forsaken? Do you sometimes feel forgotten? Do you sometimes say, you know, is God really real? Um, is, this, you know, is this all a great story that we've fabricated and we've, we've held on to, but, but basically we're holding on to a lie? Uh, we're, we're holding on to a cruel joke. Because if, if the Lord is with me, if the Lord loves his people, he has a funny way of showing it um, as, as I'm experiencing what I'm experiencing. And so Gideon surely thought that the Lord is with me. I'm, I'm threshing wheat in a wine press. Uh, and you're here to tell me that the Lord is with me. The Midianites come in and they crush us again and again and again. And you want to tell us that the Lord is with us? And hey, let me tell you a story you've heard from your grandparents. Uh, and I think this is really going to help you out. Um, no, I mean, Gideon, uh, he's, he's frustrated, um, surely. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Um, so here's... The divine shows up um, to speak and to draw out and to call uh, Gideon. Gideon responds with those, with those honest words. And, and note as this uh, interchange continues, uh, God doesn't shut him down and doesn't say, you know what, that's, that's not the way you speak to me, young man. Um, God continues in his, I mean, you read through, you think about the story um, of that the great story of Elijah, uh, you know, after God wonderfully, powerfully shows up in his battle with the prophet of Baal, and then, of course, uh, 
Jezebel says, you know what, I'm going to have your head. Uh, and he goes on the run and he quits. He leaves his staff and his servant behind, which is to say he quit the ministry and just said, you know what, forget it, I'm out. And if you remember when God comes to him, uh, God comes to him and speaks to him graciously. God comes and, and, and feeds him. God comes and calls him back uh, in relationship with himself. Do, do we have, see any echoes, uh, any foreshadowing of the way that God will come to us in Jesus uh, and the way that he will come in a way which is not deserved by you and me to woo us and to draw us uh, graciously um, to himself? And so we see in this interchange with, with Gideon, he's like, you know what, what, what gives? Um, I've, I've heard um, these stories but you know what? I, I need more than a story. I need more than a recollection. I need more than a remembrance. I need you to do something about this, uh, is, is what uh, Gideon said. And then here, here's the Lord's response in 6.14. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. <laughs> How would you how would you like that? Um, you know what? Don't worry, um, Gideon. I've got just the man for the job, and it's you. Um, go uh, in this might of yours. Uh, go in this might of yours, and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Um, do not I um, send you? Uh, and he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, this is a this is a theme, isn't it? Uh, when God, uh, when God calls you and me, when God moves you and me, what's the first thing we say? Why me? Yeah, why? Yeah, why me? Um, like God, I wanted your attention, but maybe now that I have it, I don't know that I want your attention. Um, yeah, not not only why me, but we we begin to make up excuses. I I can't. Um, there's there's a. I mean, again, you go through the Bible. Um, you know what? There's there's someone better um, than than me. I'm I'm not equipped. I don't know enough. I'm certainly. Um, not good enough. Uh, clearly, you haven't been paying attention because if you knew anything about my past, um, you you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't call me. But the, of course, the amazing thing in which the way in which God looks on us, He looks on us, yes, um, as we are, but He looks beyond that as well, doesn't He? Uh, he looks on us uh, not only as we are, but but what we are able to do uh, through His redeeming work in our lives, through His power which is made perfect in our weakness. You know, it's 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 the old canard, but it's but it's true. Uh, God doesn't call the equip; He equips the call. God doesn't call the equipped; uh, He equips the call. Uh, and and that's uh, as I say, it's one of those annoying canards that's true. Um, uh, and and it's true, and it's repeated uh, again and again and again. So God um, is 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 calling him. And and let me stop for a second and uh, just a little excursus, but I don't think. Uh, uh, is, is important in, in all of this. And so, so God comes, God um, responds, and, and God begins to call Gideon. Of course, Gideon begins to go on and say, you know, um, I, 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 I can't do it. How can I say it? My clan, my tribe, is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. Uh, again, God's wonderful uh, sense of humor again and again and again. And, and as the story of Gideon goes on, uh, 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 as the story of Gideon goes on, one of the things that God makes profoundly clear, uh, you need to know that, that this is going to be accomplished through my power. And you and I should take tremendous encouragement from that. This is going to be brought about, your deliverance, uh, your redemption, your restoration, your hope 
is going to be brought about by my power, not by yours. Uh, it's going to be by my um, working. Uh, I'm going to call you to. Uh, I'm going to call you to step out. Uh, I'm going to call you um, um, to faith. I'm going to call you um, to action. And it, and it might be a little uncomfortable. Um, you might be a little um, anxious at first, but I'm going to make absolutely clear that, that, that I'm the one who delivers you. Why? Not because I'm the glory hog, but I know you. Um, and if you think you did it yourself, uh, I know the way that this is going to end up. Uh, I know the way that the cycle is going to work. And as the story goes on, um, God will um, send Gideon um, to tear down the, the, the idols uh, that are uh, that are on his father's land, uh, on on their land, the, the altar to Baal uh, and the Asherah pole, uh, and those were uh, fertility gods who were worshipped by the Canaanites, and and this is something that the Israelites as well um, they were drawn in and sucked into this idolatry, and so God um, says, you know what, I'm going to send you to tear down the altar of Baal, and I want you to tear down the Asherah uh, pole, these sort of cultic uh, fertility. Um, cults. Uh, I'm going to have you tear that down and build a proper altar. And, and so Gideon and, and his servants, um, you know when they do it? At night. Um, so they go, they're like, all right, we trust you, God, but we're going to do it at night. Um, uh, we're we're going to do this quietly. And of course, there's this huge um, uproar uh, after uh, after it happens. Uh, and um, and in essence, uh, they're one of the wise men in the midst of them says, you know, basically, look, if uh, if, if Baal is really God, then he'll take care of this. We don't need it because the men wanted to kill Gideon and, and, and the others. Um, you know, they, want, they didn't want to have a strong chat. They wanted to kill him. Um, but but uh, intervenes and says, you know what? If, if, if Baal's God, he'll take care of this. And if he's not God, uh, and if he doesn't take care of this, then he's not a God worth being worshipped uh, is, is what is told. And then um, they, Gideon is told to gather an army and to lead um, an army, and uh, as they gather, uh, and I'm trying to remember, it's someone help me remember, it's like 22,000, yeah, 22,000, damn, I'm good, um, one of the rare things uh, I remember, yeah, and this is in chapter 7, uh, as, the, as the story goes on, um, Gideon will be called to gather an army um, to defeat and to drive out the Midianites, and they begin with 22,000, but, but God says specifically um, to them, uh, the Lord said to Gideon, the people, and this is uh, in chapter 7 too, the Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Again, God's, God's got plenty of glory. Um, he's not worried about gathering more glory for himself. It's in his love and his grace, realizing for Gideon and for the Israelites that if they think they did it, they're going to be stuck in the same place where they began. Nothing will have changed um, in their lives in those same Vicious patterns uh, will continue. Uh, no, and so the God God says this. Um, uh, my now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, "Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead." Then twenty-two thousand of the people returned, and ten thousand remained. And God said, "You know that's still too many. Here's what we're going to do: when the men go down to drink water, uh, did you all remember the story? When the men here's here's here here's God's wonderful." Um, sense of humor. Here's how. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to figure this out. Who to keep? When the men go down to drink the water, those who lap like dogs um, are to be dismissed. Um, those who go down and, and lap like dogs are to be dismissed. And and those who kneel down uh, and take their hand and draw the water to their to their mouth, those are the ones um, that you're called um, to keep. Uh, and this isn't you know 
this isn't God's um, divine etiquette um, that he's concerned about. But anybody remember how many men um, do they come down to? So we go from 22,000 to 10,000. Anybody remember the final number? 300. Uh, they come down to 300 men. Uh, and they drive out the Midianites um, with, with, with 300 men, uh, all of this. Well, let me just stop for a second again, a little excursus um, as, as we think about um, all of this, uh, what, the things we've been talking about, the cyclical nature uh, of not only the people of Israel, but, but, but for you and for me, um, and, and the way that we um, fall into these patterns. Uh, and uh, yes, um, we experience the repercussions of them, but, but God wonderfully, graciously uh, does not leave us there. He breaks in. He intervenes with his grace rather than to draw us further in, um, to pull us out. Uh, and, and often the, uh, and granted, undoubtedly, God calls us to repentance. Um, God calls us to forsake um, our um, idols. God calls us um, to change in our lives. God calls us um, to a, a response. But all of that uh, is in response to the grace which is extended to us. Uh, all of that is something that he um, draws um, out of us. But uh, what I want to say to you, going back to we hear about how the people uh, of Israel um, were laid very low. Um, and to say that that is often, uh, in yours and my life as well, when we feel like we're laid very low, um, that more often than not is the fertile ground on which God operates. Uh, and none of us seek that. I certainly uh, don't seek that. That's not in my daily prayers. Um, Lord, lay me low. Um, uh, and, and yet, if you think about your life, that's often the place where the, where the grace of God and the change and the deliverance in our lives, that's um, where, it, uh, where it happens. Uh, I mentioned last week in some of the different resources, uh, there's this guy, James Edwards, and he's written some great um, biblical commentaries and a number of other books. And this is a book of his, The Divine Intruder. Um, uh, it's, a, it's an older, uh, you can find it, uh, you can find it out there, um, The Divine Intruder. It's a collection of his, some of his teaching sermons, and they really are fantastic. And Edwards... James R. Edwards is his name. Uh, is is one of my uh, is one of my faves. Um, 2000 is when this uh, when this was published. And I want to read something to you that, that he talks about when we think about being laid very low. And he is uh, I think he's retired now, but he was a uh, a professor um, uh, of of religion at a at a college. And he talks about teaching in the religion department. But and I'm just. Uh, hang with me. I'm going to read to you for just a, for just a moment um, when he talks about being laid very low. And then, I'm, because of our time, I want to uh, include one final word, um, uh, another story from another preacher, um, Harry Ironsides. But but listen to this: laid very low. How often that condition is fertile ground for a new and unforeseen harvest, even in a wine press. No one, of course, likes being laid low. And when we are laid low, our usual sense is that we have been abandoned. But at this point, our sense is wrong. That is clear from the story of Gideon and from the Bible as a whole. And he quotes from Psalm 138, uh, verse 6. Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly. The Lord not only looks, he enters, whether invited or not. Um, The religion department in which I teach assigns a series of final papers for religion majors in their senior year. One of them is a spiritual autobiography. As I read through the 25 or so spiritual autobiographies that students submit each spring, I am struck by the hardships, even tragedies, that many of our students have known, 
divorce, death, abuse and abandonment, illness, siblings with birth defects, financial collapse, automobile accidents, shootings. I feel humbled and chastened by their stories, but I'm also amazed by a profound irony that often results from such adversities. Many students attest that precisely in such evils, God was present in ways they had not known before and could never have imagined, breaking through, seizing uh, and sustaining them, and drawing them to new or more vital faith. Uh, he's talking about the, the experience. And, I, you know, we often experience that as well, don't we? We begin to talk to people and to get to know people, young or old or in between, and we find out the, the things everybody um, Everybody is, is carrying around some burdens. Everybody is carrying um, around um, hurts. Uh, and again, while none of us uh, seek them or ask for them, it's, it's often um, the fertile ground in which God can work. And then he, uh, hopefully this won't be too distracting. I think this is interesting and worth um, reflecting upon. Um, Origen uh, was a, a third century uh, church father. And, um, you know, like any... Like any of us, he needs to be sifted. Some of the things are worth keeping that he says. Some of the things, perhaps, uh, they're, they're, they're chaff that you can let go. But interestingly, Origen um, had this uh, theory about personal suffering uh, that, that he put forth. And he, and he writes uh, this. Edwards draws on Origen here. Origen believed that in the eyes of God, and this is, I think this is worth you and me reflecting on. As I say, you... This is kind of, to some degree, a take it or leave it, but I think it, it, it bears some reflection. Origen believed that in the eyes of God, each of us has been allotted a particular constitution as our appropriate sparring partner. Uh, it's kind of what, what Paul talks about, the, the thorn in the flesh that he dealt with, that he contended with. Um, Origen believed that in the eyes of God, each of us has been allotted a particular constitution as our appropriate sparring partner. Each person's flesh and blood is peculiar to that person, taught Origen, and has been expressly calibrated by God to challenge the potential in each individual to stretch beyond himself or herself. The gentle precision of God's mercy ensures that our constitutions are adjusted to the peculiar needs of our souls down to the finest details. Uh, in, in essence, I think part of what Origen is saying and Edwards is saying here and, and this, I believe, is unmistakably true, that God is shaping and fashioning us for eternity. Uh, and that's not to make light of our, our, our current challenges and struggles, but to say there, there's, a, there's a bigger picture here. Um, God is shaping and, and, and fashioning us for more than simply um, this world. In the eyes of God, the temptations of one person are as different from those of another as are their fingerprints or handwriting. You have coals of fire, said Origen. You will sit upon them and they will be of help to you. The coals that Origen speaks of um, do not consume, uh, they help. They will even help Gideon, although he has a hard time believing it. But in order to help, God must address a need that Gideon does not know he has. But in order to help, God must address a need um, that Gideon um, does not know uh, he has. Uh, I think, again, worth some reflection. Uh, as I say, Origen is... Um, particularly wrong in some areas, uh, not to be, but you know, you, you may have heard, Origen ended up castrating himself to try to um, overcome uh, the, 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 the lust which he experienced. And 
I, this is like, a, it's not funny, I shouldn't laugh, but, but you, know, here's, well, here's, you know, here's the shocker. So he castrates himself, guess what? He still experienced thoughts of lust. I mean, it's just like, well, that didn't work uh, the way that I the way that I thought it would. So that's what I say. Uh, it's important to note that you know, as I say, take some, leave some with origin. I guess is what I'm trying to what I'm trying to tell y'all in all this. Well, uh, I'm looking at the time. I've basically run out of time. I'll maybe next week I'll I'll share the story, which is a great story uh, from one of the sermons uh, from Harry um, Ironside. But but by way of and I, I kind of laugh when I say conclusion because, um, you know, uh, not that I, this will all be wonderfully, perfectly um, wrapped up. But what I'd like to say is 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 this: um, what we see in the life of Gideon, and it, things go on. Gideon, not surprisingly, um, is like the rest of the biblical figures. Um, he is a man of faith, but he's also a man of weakness. Uh, he's a man of success. But he's also a man of vulnerability and failure as well. And, you know, you can say man or woman. That, that's the human um, condition for us. Well, what, what hope do you and I have? Uh, Jesus has broken the cycle. To say that Jesus has broken um, the cycle. God himself comes into the world um, to be laid um, very low. Um, yes, we have the remembrance. We have the reminders. But, but ultimately, at, at the end of the day, what God gives uh, is himself. God gives a person. God gives a relationship. He gives more than just instruction. He gives more um, than just knowledge. He gives more than just truth. He gives himself. And he says, I um, am with you. Uh, and in Jesus, and his being laid low um, for you and for me, we, we have deliverance. Uh, we have a hope and a certainty and a cycle which is broken. Uh, and who breaks it? Uh, like the like the said to Gideon, you know what? You need to know that I've delivered you, um, because otherwise uh, you'll fall prey to the folly of thinking that you can do it yourself. And if you think you can do it yourself, you're going to be frustrated and heartbroken again and again and again. Uh, but we hear that in Jesus, God wonderfully breaks the cycle through His cross, through His resurrection. Those wonderful words of Jesus spoken from the cross: "It is I'm finished." Uh, we, we have a hope and we have a redeemer. We have an ultimate um, deliverer who comes to us in our stuckness uh, and works on our behalf. And so as we hear that, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks and praise for this time. And we give you thanks and praise that you graciously intervene. Um, yes, sometimes in, in response to our call and, and sometimes wonderfully um, when we're unable to call and don't even know to call out, uh, you wonderfully, graciously intrude in our lives. Draw us, most gracious God, um, to the certainty, the ho- to the hope, to the deliverance that is found in you. Call us uh, in faith that we might begin uh, wonderfully um, to take uh, the steps which you place before us, that we might experience your power in our lives. And uh, this we ask, this we offer in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.